Welcome to Offscript. Tune in every week to hear the stories of and insights from NPs. We're your hosts, Maxine and Danielle, two technologists who are passionate about the future of patient care. Our guest today is Amanda Guarneri. Amanda is a Yale-trained adult and women's health nurse practitioner. Beyond her clinical work across emergency medicine, general medicine, and women's health, Amanda has also built an amazing business called The Resume Rx, where she helps NPs build impactful careers without sacrificing work-life balance. In this capacity, she has also helped NPs find collaborating physicians through collaborating docs. In today's conversation, we discuss her diverse clinical experiences, entrepreneurial journey, and advice for NPs across both domains. Amanda, thank you so much for joining us. Could you please give us your own one-sentence intro? Sure. Hi, I'm Amanda, as introduced. Thanks so much for having me. I'm a nurse practitioner. I'm a mom. I'm a wife. uh, And I'm excited to dive into a couple corners of those hats that I wear and how they come together and specifically how I love, love, love to support nurse practitioners along their career journeys. We're so excited to get into it. To start, we'd love to talk about your clinical experience. Given you have a really unique and impressive story on both the clinical and business side, we'd first love to hear about the clinical roles you've previously had as an NP. We know there are several, so I'll leave that those for you to get to decide what you want to share. Sure. So I'll take you back to when I started my NP career. I graduated from NP school back in 2011. And the first job that I held was in student health. So I worked at a college health center. It was a wonderful first job. It was a great kind of introduction to how to handle a clinical environment, manage a schedule. I learned pretty quickly that I wanted to take care of some sicker patients, that everyone was much too healthy. And I was worried about losing some of those more advanced clinical skills. So I quickly looked for another position. Emergency medicine was really the clinical area that I've spent the most time in, in my career. And it was really, it started by me looking for a second job to help pay off my student loans. And the hospital I was already working at happened to be hiring part-time per diem providers in the ED. So that was really my foot in the door there. It ended up being a field that I loved, which was surprising. I'm a very kind of routine and predictable person in my everyday life. I'm not an adrenaline seeker. I don't like big roller coasters. Uh, but in the clinical environment, I really, really thrived in kind of the unknown and the the speed and the adrenaline of that environment. So I ended up working probably six or seven years in emergency medicine in multiple states because of a few different moves that um, I did with my family. And then I eventually went part-time in emergency medicine, and it was during that time that I started my business. And I started my business part-time while working clinically part-time, and then eventually the pandemic hit after I had had my third baby. I was supposed to go back to uh, a new role in New York City in an emergency room. Um, I signed a contract in January of 2020, and by the time my credentialing finally came through, it was the first week of April. If you remember the first week of April 2020 in New York City, it was quite an interesting place. And long story short, I didn't start the job. I couldn't really justify 
leaving two toddlers and a newborn for one day a week job. And that was really the end of my clinical practice for a good three-year hiatus. So I returned after those three years to clinical practice in a few different roles in primary care, which I also started to learn aesthetics and primary care and aesthetics has been the two clinical environments where I've been the most involved since that point. So that is that is the, the story and the journey of my clinical career thus far. An amazing story and path and lots of twists and turns. And we're excited to discuss more of your clinical work now as well in, in primary care and aesthetics. But before we get there, you mentioned that while you were working in the ED, you decided to launch your business and the Resume Rx is obviously a, a very interesting business. And we'd just love to hear a bit more about what inspired or motivated you during this time to start the business. You know, I kind of remember the moment that I came up with the idea and I was in this period of time where I was looking for other ways to utilize my skills in healthcare outside of the clinical environment. So I had gone part-time for a few different reasons. One of the main reasons was I had just recently become a mom of twins and I wanted more time home with them. So I had tried on a few different things. I was writing freelance in kind of the blog B2C environment. I did some contracts, writing some continuing education courses, and I've always been a strong writer. So that seems like the obvious choice. I was trying those things on. They were more like gig opportunities. And at one point I was in a Facebook group of nurse practitioners and someone was asking a question about how to phrase something on their resume or how to design it or something. And this was also something that had come very easily to me. I didn't realize other people struggled with it. So I chimed in and I offered my advice and, and just got really wonderful feedback from me helping another person in that Facebook group. And that's when the idea struck that, oh, maybe this is something that other nurses and nurse practitioners struggle with that I'm good at, that I can help with. Uh, and that's when I realized that I might have a business idea on my hands. So I kind of went through the process of validating that idea. In that Facebook group, I offered for free in exchange for testimonials to rewrite some people's resumes. And um, that ended up seeding my first several clients. So that was really where it started. It initially started as me writing resumes and editing resumes for other nurses and nurse practitioners. And what it evolved into is more of a platform of education and self-guided resources for nurses and NPs to really help with their career development, but more specifically their resume writing, their cover letter writing, their interview prep, that type of thing. So it evolved into me being able to help more people through things like digital courses, as opposed to the one-on-one -on -one work of helping people with resumes. And that's, that's really where it's been for the past years, where it's been really my full-time job. And I've spent 40 hours a week and had employees on just the business. And then there's been seasons like my season now where I have another full-time job and it kind of coasts. It exists. The content is there. My resources are there for download and for purchase. And you know, I'm still helping people indirectly because fortunately I've created so many digital resources and content that can live forever online. That's such a nice origin and development story in terms of doing something on a one-off basis, getting really positive feedback, then testing the market more broadly and building something that really has lasted and evolved in so many different ways as the needs of both the community and your personal needs have, have changed as well. Um, 
And then we know that in 2022, you started a part-time position at a primary care that we believe is NP-led, which is a pretty unique setting. Could you please tell us a bit more about this setting and your experiences working in an NP-led clinic? Sure, I'd love to. When I went to my NP program, um, I went to the Yale School of Nursing in New Haven, and my advisor and one of my main faculty members was someone who taught at Yale, but also maintained her own practice and owned her own practice. I always really looked up to her for that. That was one of my inspirations to maybe go down that path myself one day. And as, as luck or whatever would have it, we moved back to Connecticut in 2021 and we're within reasonable vicinity of where she lives and where her practice is. We had always kept in touch. I would consider her a mentor to me. She came to my wedding. She met my children as as babies. And when I was considering going back into clinical practice, she said, hey, well, why don't you come work for me? And she is older. She's 75 plus not someone who's maybe ever going to retire, but definitely someone who winding down a bit. And uh, I initially stepped in to fill some time off for her while she had an elective surgery. And what it turned into is the opportunity for me to work in primary care just one day per week, having a, a pretty low commitment because of other things that I had going on. So it was really a wonderful experience. I learned a lot about kind of the good, bad, and the ugly of what it means to be a private practice. The good and the very good is the relationship that you're able to establish with your patients. And the way she has run her practice is almost concierge style in the sense that all of her patients have her phone number and it's a manageable panel size, that type of thing. So I, you know, I've definitely learned a lot and, you know, the bad being mainly the challenges of insurance and kind of the systemic issues that you face running a practice. So it has definitely been a great learning experience for me. I've dialed back since starting this other full-time position. I still have a handful of patients that I don't want to let go of that I see as they need. But yeah, it's been really great to see the success that an NP can have leading and owning their own practice while also seeing the realities of what the challenges are as well. Firstly, it sounds like the relationship that you had with that and he is just really powerful and especially that lasting over the course of your education and then your career, that's really special. And then getting to transition into a primary care role and really seeing behind the curtain at a smaller practice. So you get you know that full view. It sounds like a very good experience and also challenging at times too. You mentioned that you started a different role until you scaled back your clinical work. How did you decide to transition into a sales role at Collaborating Docs and what stood out to you about that opportunity? So the opportunity really fell into my lap is how I like to put it. It was a job that was posted on LinkedIn, just happened to come across my LinkedIn feed, and I was not looking for a job at the time. I have known about Collaborating Docs for a while. I've kind of been aware of them. I've been a proponent of them. I I hadn't used their service, but I had had a call with them when I needed to find a collaborating position for my work at my mentor's practice. And it's funny because 
those who follow my content over at the Resume RX know that I'm a big proponent of avoiding online job boards as the the primary way to find a job. So the irony is that this perfect role for me ended up coming from a job board, but putting that aside, it was I originally interviewed for a sales representative position and I thought, hey, how perfect. I've been doing sales and marketing, growing my own business for the past several years and also helping NPs on the career side of things, which is really what the role was about. So I was a top candidate for that role. And as I went through the interview process, what the owner ended up saying to me was, you know, Mando, you are really, really wonderful at this. Uh, I would love to have you as a sales rep. We also have a need for a sales manager. Would you consider us hiring you as a sales manager instead? So I ended up being hired for a different role than what I applied for, but it ultimately kind of used my skills even more because I love to lead and mentor. And not only do I get to help the NPs who are our clients, mostly of whom are looking to start their own practice and need a collaborating position in their state. But I also get to lead and mentor the nurse practitioners who are on our sales team and help them do their job better. So it just kind of hits on all all of my strengths. So that's where I've been since July of 2023. Um, I'm now the senior sales manager. So I have another sales manager underneath me who I manage and also the sales reps underneath all of us. So it's really wonderful. It's been a wonderful role for me. And it's unique in the sense that it's not clinical. And yet we still have a hand in the clinical world because we're helping all of these clinical nurse practitioners start their own practices, essentially. So it's incredibly rewarding and impactful in the same way that the Resume RX is rewarding and impactful to me because I get to have my hand in so many different people's stories, even if in a small way, it just kind of magnifies that impact. That sounds like such a special role and such a good fit for you in terms of your skill set and your interests and the people that you're working with on a daily basis. So it's wonderful that you found that even if it was on an online job board. And then as if you weren't busy enough across all of these different domains, we know that you decided to launch a part-time concierge practice as well, doing some aesthetics. What was the impetus for launching and what has that experience been like? When working under my mentor, she did aesthetics at her practice, um, Botox, fillers, that type of thing. And it was always a skill that I wanted to learn. So as I was working there, I said, hey, can, you know, will you teach me? And, and she did. And I also took some additional uh, courses and I had some of the, uh, the trainers from the different companies come in and train me. And the reason I ended up starting my own was just for the simplicity of needing to have my own entity in case I was treating any of the aesthetics clients. You know, we had said, it doesn't really make sense if I'm bringing in a Botox client for it to be, for it to go through the practice, right? It really made more sense for it to come to me directly. So I established my own LLC first to just funnel those patients that I was seeing. And the practice where I was working, my mentor's practice and where I live is a good 30 minutes from one another. So they're different communities. And what happened was in my area, people were wanting these services. So I thought, oh, well, I can use this LLC that I already created to really brand myself in my own community for these services and other services that people were asking about. So those services ended up being 
neuromodulators, Botox, and also weight loss medications, specifically with GLP-1 medications, you know, metabolic weight loss. So those are really the only two services I offer. I initially thought it was going to be much more aesthetics focused, but in terms of how word of mouth works and things have grown, I have many more weight loss patients than I do aesthetics clients. That is kind of the mix of what happens under that umbrella. It's nice and it's flexible. Most of my weight loss patients, even if they're local to me, I'm able to do pretty much everything over telehealth or over the phone. And I have a small office that I'm able to do procedures out of. And I probably see anywhere between three to six aesthetics clients per month. It's really, really light, but still something that keeps my clinical skills fresh. It keeps me earning my practice hours and it's fun. It just a nice little variety in, in my life, which has been really good at this point in my career, especially after struggling for a while with, you know, my relationship with healthcare and where clinical care fits in the grand scheme of my career. Yeah. It sounds like that's a really nice practice to have on the side to keep your clinical skills fresh and also to continue delivering direct care, even if in a, in a different setting. You touched on this a bit with the mention of word of mouth, but how do you approach acquiring clients for both the neuromodulators part and also the, the weight loss aspect? So I will say that when I was first starting up, I, I put a lot more effort into marketing uh, than I do now, because right now I'm a little bit on maintenance mode, if you will. The majority of my clients are recurring clients in either category, whether it's aesthetics or or weight loss clients. At the beginning, I built a website, made a Google business profile, printed up some business cards and made some connections with people around town and in local communities with overlapping audiences. So I've you know, talked a lot with salon owners, that type of thing to co-promote each other. And I also did a little bit of a refer a friend program. So if someone were to refer a friend to me, then that person would get a bonus reward or a discount off of another service with me. And those few things have, plus just kind of the word of mouth in, in my community have really been the only things that I have done. It's at the point where I certainly, if I had the time and the interest, I could focus on more growth. It's just something that's not a priority right now, but I thought about putting an ad in our local town newspaper and done a couple of other outreach activities like being visible at different fairs and and community events. There's certainly so many things that can be done, both free and paid. So I think I've just kind of collected a handful of things that have worked for me thus far and and run with those. It's really lovely to hear you describe how you went about patient acquisition. I think that's something when we talk to NPs, that's an area of concern. And I feel like many of the things you just listed are testament to the fact that just being in your community and thinking about the people you're excited to serve solves so much of that um, patient acquisition question or patient acquisition problem. Given you've had so many diverse experiences and so much expertise now across both business and clinical, how do you foresee your career continuing to grow and evolve? I wish I knew. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's interesting because for 
as long as I can remember, I have been that type of person who is always focused on the next step, right? Like what's next? I remember being in ninth grade with, this is, I'm going to date myself. There used to be this college prep book where it listed all the colleges and universities in the country and you knew what they were known for and what you could study and all this type of stuff. I remember like studying that book and be like, all right, where am I going to go to college at 14 years old? Um, so so that, <laughs> that probably says a lot about me. So I've always been, you know, all right, what's the next step? What's the next phase? And I, in this phase now where I'm getting comfortable kind of riding the wave, if you will, I haven't felt the need to project what's next. And when I think about it now, where my talent lies is in knowledge of the NP profession and business strategy. So the intersection of those is really where I think my career will go in the future. I don't see myself returning ever to a full-time clinical role. I could see myself evolving with this company I work for now or finding an opportunity to be a nurse executive with another nurse tech company or modern healthcare company that's a bit of a disruptor in the industry. That's kind of what I what I think about. If you had asked me a few years ago, I I wouldn't I never thought that I'd go back to being employed. I thought that I would really take my business wherever it wanted to go and and develop myself as a thought leader and a speaker. And I think I will still continue to do those things. And I will do those things in conjunction with being employed because I'm, I'm finding that being employed is allowing me those paths anyway, uh, and perhaps even accelerating those opportunities. So I always thought it had to be an either or situation, but it's definitely a both and, which is nice. But yeah, those are really the only conclusions I have <laughs> about where my career is going from here. I love hearing you reflect on your own skills and abilities and articulating like, this is what I'm good at. This is what I love. And you have just continued to find the intersection of that. It seems like step after step. And that is such a recipe for success, clearly. So kudos. Thank you. I'm lucky to have found that because I'm not sure that everybody, I'm not sure that everybody does. Um, so I definitely, I recognize that. And, and that's what I try to have trickle down in my content because for a lot of people that happiness is certainly within clinical practice. And I want NPs to find where that is for them. And that's what's really fulfilling to me. How do you think you went about finding that that those skills. What we want to ask you is about your secret sauce, either clinically or professionally. And I'd be really curious to how you got to those insights. Yeah, that's a hard question. I feel as though I didn't even have the opportunity to think about what I could do or be good at other than clinical practice until I went part-time after I had had my kids when I was working full-time and made the decision to go part-time. Something about that time period, it was this little bit of breathing room that I felt like I really didn't have before working in a full-time clinical role. And, and that's not to say that someone has to cut back their hours to find that. But for me, that's what I needed. I needed that opportunity to kind of zoom out and allow my creative brain to think and imagine and really play. And that's 
how I discovered the idea of starting a business and dreamed it up and had the time and space to create it. So I would say that definitely played a big part. I think the other thing too, you know, when talking about secret sauce, something that transcends clinical and non-clinical, I am a really good listener and I am intuitive when it comes to reading other people. That helps me show a lot of empathy. And in the clinical environment, yes, I'm good at the medical side of things, but what I'm really good at is making someone in a busy ER feel like they're the only patient that I have. That's something that I think is is my clinical special sauce. And when thinking about how that translates into my business or my non-clinical special sauce, everything that I have done and been able to do, whether it's creating resources in my business or learning how to be a salesperson in a way that I'm helping someone learn more about a service that's going to be useful to them. All of those skills come from a foundation of being a good listener, hearing what people have to say, either verbally or intuiting what they have to say, uh, what they need, and then responding to that need, either with a piece of content or a piece of information or a question that helps them discover more about themselves. So I think that's really, if I had to name my special sauce, that's probably what it is. And I think it's helpful to know that about myself and to have the self-awareness to know that that's what will help me differentiate myself or or really kind of help me as I learn to figure out what ends up being next for me. That resonates deeply. All aspects of that, the first part around sometimes needing some breathing room to really achieve a different level of clarity. I I feel like I personally had that experience around a year ago when I was able to take a bit of a step away from work. And I was just saying to Maxine how I now feel like I have this new clarity that I don't think I've ever had before. And it's really that time that gave me the chance to build that. And the power of listening, that makes a ton of sense. And it's amazing how that's come through in both your patient care and also your interactions with other NPs. You mentioned that the two aspects that are most resonant for you are your knowledge of the NP profession and then also your thoughts around business strategy. Would love to hear what are the core tenets that you hold true at that intersection? What is really important in in that intersection? Great question. I think what I've learned about NPs or about NP education is unfortunately there's not a lot of Uh, business knowledge or strategy that is taught. And so what that has created is a tremendous opportunity for me to be a trusted guide, particularly in helping NPs on the business side of things, whether it's as an advisor and helping them figure out what an idea is, or whether it's on the collaborating doc side, helping them figure out the logistics of a service and starting a practice. I think that I really enjoy helping NPs with the concept of coming up with an idea, validating an idea, particularly when it comes to an NP who wants to start a clinical practice or who even wants to start a business similar to mine or a consulting practice. I think that it's helpful that I kind of understand both sides so that I can empower those NPs to really figure out what's going to lead to their happiness and success and help them listen to what they're good at and really cultivate and develop those things. So I think that's really what I value most in kind of the intersection of those two worlds. That makes a lot of sense and is a really natural transition into the next section that we wanted to discuss with you, which is your practical tips for other nurse practitioners. 
in terms of both clinical and, and non-clinical. So the first question that we have for you is, what tips do you have for prescribing and managing patients on GLP-1 medications? Yeah, so I think that my biggest tip is to, again, listen. This goes back to listening. That initial patient assessment of why someone is coming to you for that service really ask a lot of open-ended questions to determine what brought them to this point. A lot of the patients that I see typically fall into one of two buckets. They either are someone who has had a lifelong struggle with weight and with food noise, as they call it, which is that kind of incessant chatter in one's head about when the next meal is or what they should be eating or just kind of this involuntary obsession with food. That's usually one category of people who are wildly successful on GLP-1s. The other category, at least what I tend to see, are, are people who at some point in their adult life have had a healthy adult weight, but for one reason or another, usually I'm talking to a lot of moms after pregnancy, for example, they have put on a good amount of weight and despite going back to their positive habits, they haven't been able to go back to their adult happy weight. So those are kind of the two main buckets that I see, at least in my practice, and that I categorize people in. And the resources that each of those groups needs is different. And the kind of anticipatory guidance is different because someone who has had a lifelong struggle with food and weight management may be someone who is on GLP-1s forever. And that's okay. Whereas it may be more of a short-term solution for, for someone else. So I would say patient selection is important. Recognizing your own biases. If you have fat phobia or judgment of people who have gotten to the point where they are overweight, I think that's definitely important. Uh, and then also trusting people with their own decisions and their own management. I kind of have a I guess you could call it a, a low maintenance program with my patients. So I trust that they'll reach out to me if there's a problem. I don't micromanage and force them to come into my office and weigh themselves once a week. If they don't want to ever get on a scale, that's okay with me. You know, there are a few things from a safety perspective, labs that we check, things that we go over. But other than that, I trust that most reasonable adults can make sound decisions and can kind of guide their treatment within reason. So those are probably the three, the three big ones I would land on. Such an empowering approach to trust people to take care of themselves, to report accurately on their stories and treat them with respect to what their experience has been. That sounds like a really great way to approach it, especially given kind of all the cultural commentary around it. It's just, it's actually quite simple. What about tips for collaborating with specialists? Yeah, I learned a lot about collaborating with specialists through my work in the ER. And just to kind of give you an overview of the workings of the ER, you see and take care of a patient. And if they have some sort of specialist related concern or complaint or diagnosis, or they need to come into the hospital for admission, more often than not, you are calling a specialist to review the case with them and to basically get their endorsement that yes, they can come into the hospital for admission or no, they can be managed outpatient. So I remember being very, very terrified to make those consult calls as a, as a newer NP. And 
some of that came from just my fear of the interaction, you know, worried that people would speak to me a certain way. Some of it came from some insecurity about being an NP, talking to a physician, because more often than not, these specialists are physicians, right? Over time, with a lot of practice, it's kind of a mutual respect type of approach that I take. I know that when I'm reaching out to a specialist, I need their help in order for me to take care of my patient. And on the flip side, they usually need my consultation in order for them to have patients to care for or to to see or to bill, right? Like specialists usually aren't getting patients who are self-referred, right? They're getting patients from people who have referred to them. So kind of having that approach helps me show up more confidently in those conversations. And I think if I'm showing up more confidently in the conversations, then that conversation is more likely to go the way that it should, which is a nice and respectful conversation. It's too bad that I have to even make that the main focus of a talk about how to work with specialists. But uh, unfortunately, the, the interpersonal communication is just a huge, huge part of medicine in general. And especially we're talking about interprofessional communication and working as a team. Like, yes, it's really wonderful on paper. And I'd like to think that all settings are very utopia-esque with, with everyone working together kindly, but that's not the reality everywhere. So I find that I really have to keep that in mind so that ultimately everything can be done right by the patient. So it's mostly about communication, but also making sure that I've made that specialist's job as easy as possible. So anticipated all the labs and imaging that they may want to review, typed up a really thoughtful and succinct note for the patient, as well as a kind of cover letter if I'm if I'm sending a written referral a lot of things to consider, but ultimately, if you're prioritizing what's best for the patient, everything else usually falls into place. I love that. We've heard that several times on the podcast where if you're doing right by the patient, you're doing the right thing. I also really love your note on as an NP or as a primary care provider or an emergent care provider, wherever you are remembering your power, not only in amazing patient care, but also in steerage. It's helpful for kind of remembering or knowing your worth in that relationship. So even if there feels like a interprofessional gap, maybe imposed, that that's not something that you have to succumb to or exist within. What tips do you have for determining your scope of care and when to ask for help? I like to keep this phrase in my head. And it's also a phrase that I pass along whenever I'm precepting a student or anything like that. Know what you know and know what you don't know. And if you can confidently know what you don't know, then that's usually a, a really great guide in terms of your in terms of your scope. There are so many different resources that define our scope of practice, right? There's the board examination that we take for our specific specialty as nurse practitioners. Then there's the different nurse practice acts in the states where we are licensed. Then there's your different ethical commentaries of what should and should not fall within your scope. And ultimately, yes, all of those things are true and we we must follow those. But what also determines our scope is what we are comfortable and competent doing. And I think that someone who has the emotional intelligence to say, hey, I can't 
take care of that type of patient because I don't have enough knowledge, that's going to be a better provider than someone who says, oh, yeah, I'll figure it out or uh, I think this is right or, you know, someone who doesn't know how to utilize their resources. So that is really a piece of advice that, like I said, is always something that rings in my head and is always one of the first things that I'm eager to pass down to NP students or, or newer NPs that I interact with who have those fears and concerns about making mistakes or practicing outside of their scope. And so it's just kind of, I tell people to constantly remind themselves of reflecting on what they know and what they don't know. That's excellent advice. There's a lot of commentary and there are lots of opinions around what should and shouldn't be done. And that makes a lot of sense in terms of, of course, being legally compliant, but beyond that, using the commentary to really tune your own intuition and trust your own judgment in terms of what you do and do not know. To close, we will ask the same two questions that we ask all of our guests. One is a question around the health system and the other is a personal reflection question. In terms of the health system more broadly, what changes would you like to see to really improve patient care? I would love to see kind of a, uh, a turn back in time to when our healthcare system was not focused as much on profit and revenue to drive patient decisions or decision-making. That's something that I've never seen in my lifetime, but it is something that has gotten worse. Like I've felt it more in my career. I don't know exactly how to get there, but I think that there are other countries that don't have the same problems as us. And those countries don't have the same systemic and structural issues that we have as a result. So I could could probably go on and on about all the different changes, but I think ultimately we were in a less capitalistic version of healthcare. Is that kind of a good way to put it? Then, then I think that would be ideal. Yeah, absolutely. It's hard to put a price tag on health and things can get really mixed up when you do. So our final question for you is what's some advice that you want everyone to hear or to walk away with? And this can be clinical or non-clinical. Well, I guess I will kind of give a nod to something that we talked about earlier in terms of figuring out for yourself where and how to create that space in your life for your own reflection and figuring out wherever you need clarity about something, right? I had mentioned earlier that I really didn't have much time for my brain to think about much else when I personally was working full time with two small infants and overtime and on all this, all this type of stuff. And I really feel like I learned the most about myself when I created some sort of space to think and dream and create and play and read and learn and just do things that were unrelated to those major roles. So like I said earlier, I don't think that someone necessarily has to go from a full-time job to a half-time job in order to find that space, but there does have to be some intentionality behind the creation of the space, I think, especially if someone who's listening is is struggling to know what's next or where their place is in the world or the healthcare system or their family system, whatever it is. So that would be my biggest piece of advice is to, is to find a way to create that space for your brain to explore and go there and figure it out. That's beautiful advice, being intentional about giving yourself the space and again, really listening to yourself and trusting yourself to figure things out. Is there anything that we haven't asked you about yet that you'd like to share? 
I don't think so. I'll give a plug for my website and my social handles. If anyone wants to connect with me on LinkedIn, you can find me under my name, Amanda Guarneri. On Instagram is where I'm most active on social for The Resume Rx. And you can find me at The Resume Rx or online, TheResumeRx.com. Thank you so much for your time. This was an amazing conversation and we are super grateful for the chance to talk with you about all of this. Yeah, thank you both for having me. It was a lot of fun.